are listening to the Batflip Podcast, a baseball podcast from Belly Up Sports and the Belly Up Podcast Network. Here are your hosts, Damian and Matt. Welcome back, everyone, to the Batflip Podcast. My name is Damian here with co-host Matt, coming to you on August 2nd of 2022. Got a trade deadline episode today. Uh, sorry for missing last week. Matt and I were not able to line up on a time, uh, but it's going to be a super long episode, so buckle in for this one. And then uh, before I go to Matt, we actually have David back on, which he's been on for a couple episodes before. So how are you doing, David? I'm doing good. Uh, you know, trying to start my new job here and, um, you know, <laughs> balancing out watching this trade deadline un- uh, unfold, which it was pretty crazy today. So, um, you know, probably one of the best players in baseball moving uh, teams over to the Padres. So uh, I'm, I'm excited to dive into that and, um, you know, what some teams did and some teams didn't do. Uh, so Absolutely. Matt, how you doing today? I'm uh, I'm doing well. Uh, sorry about last week. I was on vacation. I was actually uh, I was actually on a boat while uh, we were supposed to be recording. So, uh, but um, but it's been a it's been a crazy deadline, like David said. It's been a lot of fun to, to keep up with, and uh, there's been some head scratchers. There's been some enormous moves, and there's been some some head scratching moves on teams not selling to uh, <coughs> Rockies. Uh, but we're um, we're, uh, we're going to get into it here just, just a second. Yeah, so we broke this down by division. Uh, so we'll go ahead and start in the American League East. Um, and we'll start with the Yankees, who were one of the more active teams uh, on the deadline this year. And the first trade that we have for them is that they traded Jordan Montgomery to the St. Louis Cardinals, acquiring center fielder Harrison Bader and player to be named later or Cash. Yeah, so... Uh... You know, starting off with this one, Jordan Montgomery has been a pretty solid pitcher this year. Uh, you know, it has a 369 ERA and 114 innings. Uh, his peripherals uh, back that up uh, very well. And, you know, he's a solid mid-rotation arm for a team that – going to a team that really needed mid-rotation arms because, you know, outside of Wainwright and, and Mikolas has had a really good year, that they were really lacking behind those two guys. And now they've added in – you know, uh, Jordan Montgomery and, and Quintana, who who we'll get to later. But uh, they brought in Harrison Bader uh, to New York, who they would, they've been playing judge in center field a lot, and they'd like to save his legs by putting him back in his natural position in right field. So it makes a lot of sense to bring in Bader, who's an elite defensive center fielder. Um, has, has swung the bat pretty well at times, too. Last year, 110 WRC+. Plus. Uh, year before last, 114. So, you know, this year has been a little bit down, but he's also dealt with some some injuries. He is coming back soon. So, um, you know, a, a good good insurance policy uh, for the Yankees. And also, you know, Aaron Hicks has played a lot of center field too, and you just never know what you might get with him health-wise. So definitely a good move, really a win-win move there because the Yankees went from their depth of starting pitching and the, and the uh, Cardinals, you know, were able to, to – feel a big need and uh you know they have depth in the outfield so absolutely so the next trade that we had from the new york yankees was acquiring relief pitcher scott efros from the chicago cubs for hayden wesneski so david what do you uh since you're a cubs fan what do you know about scott efros so scott efros was generally my favorite pitcher uh of the season so far man he's a sidewinder uh, throws a lot like steve ciszek uh if you you know, just kind of having a visual in your head. He was sitting on a 218 FIP this year and a 28% strikeout rate with a 6% walk rate. The guy was been featured on uh, Pitching Ninja a bunch. Uh, so if you had an eye on that account, you'll have seen uh, Scott Efros a bunch. This is a the Cubs jumping on 
the capitalizing of a value. And this is the kind of trade that they have not done in years. I can't even remember the last time they capitalized on someone's value like this. Efros having an amazing season. The Yankees picking up an amazing reliever. And the Cubs are going to get a starting pitching prospect in Wisniewski um, that has a good slider. He's good fastball up in the mid-90s. He was up in the top 10 in the Yankees prospects lists. From what I saw, he's going to be about the eighth best prospect on the Cubs uh, and probably their second or third best pitching prospect right now. So uh, just a really good pickup for them. And I think the, the Cubs did a good job here, even though I don't like giving up Scott Efros like that. He has five years of control. If he's good for five years, this one might look bad down the road uh, and look really good for the Yankees. But uh, overall, yeah, definitely a win-win, A-plus grade on both of these uh, acquisitions. Yeah, just a quick just a quick comment on that from, from my end. You know, you never know when a reliever like a Scott Efros, who is never a really highly touted prospect, you know, every now and then one will turn out to be Steve Shishek or, or Darren O'Day or somebody that's around a long time. But for every one of those, you have a guy like Dan Winkler or Richard Rodriguez that like has one insanely good season or half season and then just completely falls off. Relievers are very volatile and, and the Cubs cashing in on it, you know, may, may or may not have been a great move. It's just kind of a wait and see on that. Yeah, so another one, we'll jump to the next Yankees uh, move that they did was acquiring Frankie Montas and Lou Trevino from the Oakland A's for Ken Waldachuk, uh, Luis Medina, J.P. Sears, uh, Cooper Bowman, another starting pitcher for the Yankees, and a, another reliever to help fill that bullpen role. Yeah, I'll start off with the, the guys that you know the Yankees got here. Frankie Montas has been really, really good over the last two seasons. 2021 had a 4.1 wins above replacement, you know, pitched in 187 innings with a 337 ERA, backed up well by peripherals. 2022, he's been just as good, a 318 ERA. He's really been better, uh, 104 innings. Uh, you know, the one little blip on the radar was that a couple weeks ago he got pulled from a start or missed the start because of uh, some shoulder tightness. And uh, But, you know, he did come back from that and, and pitched pretty well. Um, in his in his outings, you know, a after the injury. So, you know, I think that might have lessened the return just a little bit. But, uh, you know, they also got Lou Trevino in this trade, who at times has been a really good reliever. Um, you know, I think that the Yankees definitely made a made a uh, made a point to improve their bullpen. And Lou Trevino this year is really weird. He's got a 6.47 ERA, but his peripherals are really really good. So we'll see if maybe you know change of scenery, better defense behind him could could help him out some. Yeah, and then the next move that the Yankees did, which was kind of the move that kind of kicked off all of trade deadline season last week, was acquiring outfielder Andrew Benintendi from the Kansas City Royals for right-handed pitcher Beck Way, left-handed pitcher TJ Sekima, and right-handed pitcher Chandler Champlin. Yeah, I'll jump on this one. Andrew Benintendi's, uh, you know, Red Sox World Series hero back in 2018 um, and ended up being traded to the Royals in this last offseason after a pretty big slump. And he's rebounded. He's got a 387 on base percentage, uh, 124 WRC plus. He's been worth two wins above replacement so far. And the Yankees are looking for like a leadoff hitter, somebody that can kind of set the table for Aaron Judge, who's got, what, 42 homers already. So Benintendi's the perfect kind of guy sitting on 11% walk rate that can just set the table for Judge in front of him and uh, get on base but for those home runs to become so from solo home runs to two-run home runs. Um, TJ Sikkim is probably the best prospect there, but this is a rental trade. So I think the prospect capital the Yankees give up here is pretty negligible. Uh, they just went and got their leadoff hitter, and th that's what they were going for. You're going to see Benintendi in the playoffs, I think, making some impact for the Yankees. 
Yeah, and just the you know on the Yankees trade deadline as a whole, I think they're one of the big winners. They didn't give up any of their top top prospects. They didn't give up uh, Peraza. They didn't give up uh, Volpe. They didn't give up Jason Dominguez. You know, they they did give up a couple of their top pitching prospects, but they got like Frankie Montas, who was one of the top two starting pitchers on the market. They brought in a, a, a guy, a reliever who looks to be really, really good. And Efros, uh, they got a new center fielder and, and they got Ben Attendee, who is one of the better outfield bats on the market without really giving up a one of their top, top guys. So I think it was a pretty big win for the Yankees on this deadline. Yeah. And then staying kind of with the Royals, since uh, we talked with Ben Attendee being traded, they ended up trading or jump over to the, uh, to the Toronto Blue Jays. Now they traded Whit Merrifield to the Toronto Blue Jays for two prospects by the name of Samad Taylor and Max Castillo. Yeah. So, you know, Whit Merrifield has been having a very, uh, mediocre season this year. Um, he's a guy who's been on the trade, uh, in trade talks for like three or four years in a row now and really the royals should have traded him when his value was kind of at its peak back in like 2019 2018 somewhere in there uh but this year it's been it's been pretty rough for him there are some signs that he may be a little bit better than he's his numbers are showing he's only got a 266 babbit which is his career low by a, a wide margin uh you know and his plate discipline numbers aren't any any worse or or you know, than, than they have been in the past. The fact is his walk rates up a lot over the last three years. So that's something that that's good to see. But, uh, you know, he's a guy who's, he's going to be a good utility player can play uh, a lot of different positions. Uh, you know, George Springer's dealing with some injury. So, you know, that, that he could help their outfield some, uh, and he also steals a lot of bases. He had 15 stolen bases this year already. So uh, definitely a good base runner. He, he's kind of a good utility bench player at this point in his career who could be a league average hitter, defender, and a good base runner. So I think it's a pretty good move for the Blue Jays without giving up a ton of a capital. Yeah, and then the Blue Jays continued their trade deadline by acquiring Anthony Bass and Zach Pop with a player to be named later from Miami for shortstop prospect Jordan Groshans. Uh, and then also in along that, we'll just to wrap up uh, Toronto's, they acquired Mitch White and Alex DeJesus for, uh, from the Dodgers for Nick Frasso and Moises Brito. Yeah, so this I think is the Blue Jays being a uh, a contender for you know winning their division, even if if they can catch the Yankees. But at the very least, they'll be the the strongest AL wild card team, I think, without a question. Uh, with this reliever group that they've acquired here, um, White should be able to start from the Dodgers. He's pretty good, and Damian, you might even be able to speak on White a little bit better. Anthony Bass played for the Cubs in like 2018, and he was very good. And they let him go, which was a little weird. But he's made a career down in Mar- Miami. Uh, making saves, he's been a really good ground ball pitcher. Uh, but this year's walk rates down, ERAs at one point one point four, um, and he's been one of the most effective relievers in baseball. Uh, and he might have even been the best reliever traded at the deadline. Efros was probably close there with uh, with Bass. Zach Pop's been just as good uh, for the Marlins and maybe a little less time. But he's another ground ball heavy kind of pitcher that can fit into their bullpen really well. And they only give up Jordan Groshans and Nick Frasso, who are valuable prospects, but they're probably not superstar level players. And so, you know, if you're Toronto, you kept Tiedemann, you kept Gabriel Moreno, you kept a lot of those big heavy hitting prospects that you could use later on. I think this is a, a fantastic deadline for Toronto and, and they can really set up because they didn't give up anything of note um, in their offense is already insane. So you know, the rotation's a little bit bolstered with White. The bullpen's great. Toronto gets, like, probably an A-minus for me. I mean, they didn't pick up any heavy hitters, but they did a really good job. 
yeah, to, to piggyback on the Toronto thing, um, I thought I think a lot of people were a little surprised they traded Groshans, but they, I don't think they realized that Groshans really struggled in the upper minors after being a, he's still a top 100 prospect on a couple of sites, but his value has been dropping really quickly. So it might be one of those scenarios where they were able to sell, you know, get pieces for him while they can before he just ends up being like a quadruple A player or something. So I think it was a good deadline for, for Toronto, for sure. Yeah, and then just a little milk with going to Mitch White, um, you know, a player comp that's pretty easy is coming from the Dodgers to the Blue Jays is Ross Stripling, uh, kind of swing man type five in a rotation, um, fastball slider, curveball guy. He's going to be pretty solid, probably outperformed uh, all his stuff so far this year. So uh, just kind of be a solid arm for them to have in there some depth um, since they battled some pitching injuries to start with. But <clears throat> moving over, we're going to go to the Boston Red Sox. And this one happened because it's a more of a, uh, a deal that we're going to talk about later. And this was kind of a fallout from it. But Boston is acquiring first baseman Eric Hosmer, outfielder Max Ferguson, outfielder Corey Rozier, and $44 million from the San Diego Padres, which is the entire uh, Eric Hosmer contract for prospect Jay Groom. Yeah, this was a really, really weird trade because you're getting if you're if you're uh, if you're Boston or if you're the Padres, why are you? Like, I mean, if you're selling the $44 million and Hosmer, you're paying his entire contract, you know, you're, you're giving, but you're giving up prospects too, like Max Ferguson and Corey Rozier. I don't think those are like crazy good prospects or anything, but it's weird. And Jake Groom's a guy that he was a former first round pick, uh, by the, and, and a guy that when he was picked, he was considered the top prospect in that draft. Although he ended up being picked like 13th or 14th because of you know slot values and how the how the major league draft goes, but uh, his value really hasn't been as high. He's drafted way back in 2016, and he's 23 years old now. He's he is at AAA, so you're getting a guy who is is a you know upper minor, been around a long time. Um, if you're the Padres, and then Hosmer is just kind of a you know slightly above replacement level first baseman, which honestly might be better than what the Red Sox had. I mean. Dahlbeck and uh, Franchi Cordero haven't exactly been setting the world on fire at first base for the Red Sox, so they might have upgraded a tiny bit at first, even with even though Hosmer's not very good anymore. And um, you know, I mean, San Diego paying the entire contract, I was a little bit surprised by that because you know I felt like they would probably, uh, you know, they were probably going to try to offload some of that deal to help stay below the luxury tax, but it sounds like that didn't happen. So it was definitely a weird trade, but. Uh, you know, I think it honestly made the Red Sox a tiny bit better because, like I say, Dahlbeck and Cordero aren't exactly setting the world on fire at first. So, I I will speak real quick on um, why the Padres wanted to get rid of a Hosmer contract and trading a prospect for that. Um, you're right that the Red Sox definitely need a, a first baseman right now that can field because those guys are really terrible fielders, but. What the Padres have been trying to do is attach prospects to get rid of those, you know, get rid of that money. And what they're going to run into was that they got forced into this. And we'll, we'll talk about it later when we get to San Diego. Yeah. And But they, they got forced into this. And so the prospects they could give up were, were a lot worse than back when they were discussing with the Cubs to trade Hosmer and like Robert Hassel, who I believe went in the Juan Soto trade. Um, for you know, for just taking on the contract, they were trying to attach a prospect to get rid of Hosmer's contract. So that's the the idea is when you have so much prospect capital like the Padres did, they just wanted to use it to get rid of Hosmer. Well, then now they just 
gave it away with without giving up that prospect capital. And that and the Boston's just trying to take advantage of that where, you know, they can Boston can afford a guy like Eric Hosmer. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, so the last trade for this division, it's a, a much smaller than all of these ones, but the Tampa Bay Rays acquired David Peralta from Arizona for catching prospect Christian Serta. So David Peralta for the uh, for the Rays, or for the Diamondbacks, was having a pretty good year. He's been an above-league average hitter. He's been a roughly league average fielder. Uh, you know, his, his numbers are real similar to what they've been his entire career. 248 average, 315 on base. 457 sluggings at 12 home runs. He's just a really pretty, a really good outfield bat, corner outfielder. Play does everything decently. He's not gonna, he's not a crazy good player. He's definitely a platoon splits guy. He's gonna hit really well against right-handed pitching, which you know the Rays always seem to do well with platoon splits guy mixing and matching. That's kind of that's kind of their thing. Uh, so David Peralta get get moved there definitely. Um, Definitely a good move for Tampa Bay to, to grab him. And then, you know, they gave up a catching prospect in Christian Serta. So, uh, and Christian Serta is the number 45 prospect now for the Diamondbacks, who, granted, their farm system's extremely deep. But, you know, David Peralta wasn't going to get a, going to fetch a ton of return. And, uh, you know, Christian Serta, he's put up good numbers in the, minor, in the you know, early on in the, his career at the complex league and stuff. But it's not, um, not, not really a, a crazy return there. So a good move for, for Tampa Bay. Yeah. So that will do it for the uh, American league East, as far as them acquiring the best players um, in, in each of the deals. Um, now jumping over to the American league central, which is pretty much this whole conversation is just going to be about the uh, Minnesota twins making deals. Um, we talked about the Royals trading off the Tigers traded off one guy, white Sox didn't do really anything and neither did the guardians. Uh, so Minnesota acquired, I guess we'll just run down them all and we can just talk about it in one thing. Uh, Minnesota acquired Michael Fulmer from Detroit for Sawyer Gibson Long. Uh, then they acquired Jorge Lopez from Baltimore for Cade Povich, uh, Juan Rojas, uh, Yenerk Cano, and Juan Nunez. And then they acquired Tyler Male from the Cincinnati Reds for Spencer Steer, Steve Hajar, and Christian and Carnacion Strand. So my favorite prospect that the Twins gave up here was Christian Encarnacion Strand. Uh, and I, the, you know, Tyler Maley kind of looks like a, a a controlled starter star. Kind of, I've, I expected him to get a similar return to Frankie Matas or Luis Castillo, just because he's he's one of those FIP darlings that tends to over underperform his peripherals and, and strike out a lot of guys, not walk a lot of guys, just ends up giving up some extra home runs because he plays in Cincinnati. So I was kind of expecting Molly to get a little more, but I think what we see in this trade specifically, because I think it's the most important trade, is that Encarnacion Strand is kind of getting viewed right now by the industry as a really, really good prospect. And I think Steer and Hajar also are really good prospects. Those were guys that, you know, in my research of looking at what the Cubs should go after, those were guys I wanted the Cubs to go after. They have really, really good numbers in the minor leagues. Encarnacion Strand's a third baseman right now who's got like a 160 WRC plus in double A as a 20-year-old. Like he's, he might be a superstar level player. Um, but that's the kind of risky player because he may not stay at third base that the Cincinnati Reds are equipped to take on right now and give time to develop. Um, as for the Twins, I mean, they pick up their starter. They pick up Jorge Lopez, who was probably the most underrated player at the deadline. I think he probably could have fetched a lot more and probably was more valuable to the, the Orioles 
to the rest of the year. The Orioles are like two games out of the wild card right now. And so you know, we're going to get into the, the AL West here in a little bit and talk about another Orioles player getting traded. But it doesn't make any sense for the Orioles to be selling right now. But they were anyway. And, uh, you know, they pick up four prospects for Lopez, which is maybe a similar deal to the Cubs and Efros you know, capitalizing on that value where Jorge Lopez kind of came out of nowhere this year to be a really effective closer for them. Um, and maybe the twins have solved their closer problem finally. Yeah. You know, I'll, I'll piggyback off of that. It definitely, uh, Michael Fulmer and Jorge Lopez are going to help this bullpen a lot. Both have really good numbers so far this year. Um, you know, Jorge Lopez, he's been, a, he's been a legit turnaround. Uh, Fulmer, he's got some good peripherals and, but it, you know, it seems like his home run per fly ball rate is really, 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 really low. So I think that maybe being out of Comerica, he might give up some more home runs. But, uh, you know, the, the Twins, you know, it's kind of like we were talking about earlier. They gave up some interesting prospects, you know, guys who like, like Encarnacion Strand, who maybe are underrated by services. But, you know, at the end of the day, like the Twins didn't give up like a, you know, they didn't give up anybody that's currently rated in any top 100s. You know, they're they you know, they paid a, a price, obviously, for, for what they gave up. But like, you know, they didn't give up Austin Martin. They didn't give up Royce Lewis. They didn't give up, give up Jose Miranda, Winder, Balazovic, you know, like they could have given up some of these guys and, and they didn't. So uh, definitely, um, you know, definitely a good trade deadline for the twins. They got a lot better. Uh, I was kind of surprised while we talk about the central that the White Sox didn't make some kind of move. Uh, I think, you know, a lot of their moves are, are going to be improvement from uh, guys get back from injury. But still, you know, they could have definitely a couple places they could have upgraded. And then the, and then Cleveland, they really did nothing. So, you know, it feels like the Twins were really the only one going for it at this deadline, which makes sense because you never know what might happen with Correa at the end of the season. But uh, definitely, uh, definitely like what the Twins did here. And I think they got a lot better. Yeah, and I, there's just one big thing before we move over. The only one out of those that you're not going to have past the season is Fulmer. He's the only free agent. Yep. Lopez and Molly, you both at least have under control for next season. Um, so I think that's a couple big things for them as well. But going over to the American League West now, uh, we had the Houston Astros making a couple trades here, acquiring Christian Vasquez from the Bal- or from Baltimore, from Boston Red Sox for uh, Emmanuel Valdez and Weiler Abreu, and then they acquired Trey Mancini, Jaden Murphy uh, from Baltimore for Seth Johnson and Chase Jer- McDermott. That also was a three-team deal with Tampa Bay getting Jose Siri from Houston. Yeah, so I'll start with Christian Vasquez. Uh, Christian Vasquez is having a really, really good season uh, for the – or was for the Red Sox. Now it'll be for the uh, um, for the Astros. They really needed a catcher because Martin Maldonado just can't cut it anymore as a catcher. He's still fine defensively, but he's so bad offensively. It's really struggling. And then Jason Castro just doesn't have it anymore either. But Christian Vasquez was having a really good year. 111 WRC+. plus. He's always been a fantastic defensive catcher. Uh, so you're getting a really, really good player in, in him if you're Houston. Uh, you know, they, they didn't have to give up an awful lot for him. So um, I think that they definitely made a made a good deal there with that, uh, that acquisition because, you know, it kind of fills a hole in the Houston lineup that they that they really needed and, and they didn't give up a ton for him they, they didn't give up any kind of like major overpay or anything like that so definitely a uh definitely a good trade there for for, for houston 
I will say that I think it's an absolute crime that the Orioles traded Trey Mancini coming off of, uh, you know, uh, coming back from missing a season 2020 with testicular cancer. Uh, he's been back at it and he's been hitting just as well last year and then this year um, as he was before. Maybe not quite as good, uh, but this year he's certainly shown he's cut the strikeout rate a little bit. Walk rate's the same. On-base percentage is up. Slugging's a little bit down. So I, I think with Houston, someone said that uh, Trey Mancini's the perfect hitter for the Crawford boxes where Baltimore moved the fence back in right in left field and um, you know, kind of did the opposite of what Houston has right now, and it's hurt Trey Mancini's power because he keeps flying out to deep left, and those will be home runs in the Crawford boxes. He'd have like 22 home runs already um, in the you know in Houston. So I think this is a, a really good move for Houston, but it's just the not not the best move for uh, the Baltimore Orioles, who once again trade away a, a really good player, maybe a franchise icon. Yeah, I, I think that, and and also you, you know on that Jose Siri getting traded to, you know, the, uh, the Houston Astros had a bunch of center fielders that are kind of all kind of the same. And I think Jose Siri is going to end up being like a Tampa Bay type player. So that might end up being a, a kind of underrated acquisition for Tampa Bay. But, uh, you know, I think if, if Baltimore was going to trade Mancini, they really needed to get a, a huge amount of return. And I think they really did for a guy like Mancini. He's, he's a rental guy and he's a first base slash DH type player. And he's only got a 751 OPS. And I don't like the Orioles trading him, but they got back a couple of top, uh, a top 15 prospect from the, from, the Houston organization or that's now top 15 for Baltimore. And, and then they got back a, another kind of interesting prospect. So they did get back a, a decent amount for a, a rental, you know, DH first base type. Who's, who's got a 750 OPS. So, I mean, I, I kind of hated it, at, you know, in one way, obviously because of the, you know, the Trey Mancini being kind of the heart and soul of Baltimore while they've gone through their rebuild and they're finally starting, you know, get back in the race just a little bit and then trading Mancini. But you know, if you're going to trade him, and I think of the, the way Houston, Baltimore looked at it, if, if we're going to trade him, we better get a pretty good haul for, for a guy like this. And I think they did, but it still sucks to see him get moved. Yeah, Mancini's a guy that I could totally see re-signing with Baltimore after the season because yeah. he's a free agent. Um, you know, I could see them doing, hey, we're going to get something for you, and then in the offseason we'll talk about having you back because he did truly seem broken up about – you know, having to leave Baltimore. So I wouldn't be surprised if, if that's a guy in the offseason we're talking about re-signing, um, re-signing back in Baltimore. But staying in the American League West and jumping over to the Seattle Mariners, and they made probably the second biggest splash, maybe third biggest splash of the deadline. Really the first big blockbuster trade we had was acquiring starting pitcher Luis Castillo from Cincinnati for shortstop prospects Novelli Marte, Edwin Arroyo, uh, right-handed pitcher Levi Stout and pitcher Andrew Moore. Yeah, this was a, a massive deal, and it kicked off the kind of these teams are who are willing to go for it are willing to go for it. Uh, I did not think Noel V. Marte was going to be going this deadline unless the Mariners splashed on Juan Soto. Uh, so the Reds do an incredible job here getting a really good prospect. Marte is a, one of those guys who was kind of sneaking around the top ten of prospects in baseball. Um, you know, high speed guy, a lot of steals, a lot of power too. And um, high A this year, he had four, 15 homers, 13 steals, 134 WRC plus. And this guy is 20 years old. So 
you know, you're looking at maybe a future guy at the, at the level of, you know, Carlos Correa, Corey Seager, you know, four or five wins above replacement per year. And I just, that's tough to re- reason giving up for a year and a half of, of a starting pitcher. But the Seattle Mariners are on the longest playoff drought of any team since 2001. They have not made the playoffs. And that's, yeah, that's the longest of any team in baseball. So you got to get your guy. And if Luis Castillo is the starting pitcher that leads him to the promised land, then so be it. And, and Noel V. Marte is a light price to pay. Yeah. And, you know, I'll talk about this one as well because it's such a big trade. But the fact that you get, um, the fact that you get, you know, Edwin Arroyo as well in this deal. If you're if you're Cincinnati, you got to be thrilled with the return you got. Luis Castillo is really really good. Uh, he's having a great year. He's got a longer track record than some of the other starters that got moved. Like he's got a much longer track record than than Tyler Molly for sure, and, and he's got a longer track record than Frankie Montas. That's probably why he's fetched such a much larger return. But you know, you look at uh, Edwin Arroyo as a you know, 18 year old in, in, you know, in a ball and full season ball has hit, got a 132 WRC plus he's hitting 316 with a 385 on base, a 514 slug. Uh, some teams are a little bit worried about his athleticism playing as it goes forward. Uh, you know, fan only put a 40 on his hit tool, but still like, this is a guy who's at some people are rising up into their top 100 on prospect boards. And, and, and as David said, you know, you get, Noel V. Marte, which is shocking. You know, I think that it probably would have been close to a fair deal if it was just Noel V. Marte for Luis Castillo. And then you throw in a guy who some people are putting up as in the top five of their system. Plus, you know, Stout, I think, is a guy who some some people are definitely high on, thinking that is a potential, you know, a, a pretty high-rated guy too. So um, definitely an interesting trade here. I, I, I think that you look at the – you look at Seattle, though, and, I mean, they had to do something to address their pitching. They've been really lucky in their pitching staff this year. So bringing on a guy like Luis Castillo, they can now run out Robbie Ray, Luis Castillo, and Logan Gilbert or and George Kirby. And, like, you know, their front four, that's a really good rotation. So uh, they've gone from a mediocre rotation to start the year to a really good one at this point. So definitely, definitely good move there can't forget marco gonzalez either he's been in seattle forever and he's deserving of a a playoff start at some point here so they've got a a fearsome fivesome down up there in seattle and man i hope they make the playoffs and make a world series run that'll be cool yeah 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 that team's gonna be fun and and i think at least on my end from getting luis castillo i think it was something that kind of an underrated need for them because kirby's gonna hit an innings limit at some point so you want to be able to to get off him a little bit logan gilbert's probably gonna hit some sort of an innings wall as well um, and you want to make sure he's as fresh as possible for the postseason as well. Um, and you've been riding Robbie Ray like the horse that you know you paid him to be. But it'd be nice to to have another guy to where you can maybe back off him later in the year um, just a little bit instead of making him go seven. Maybe he can just go five. But getting a guy like Luis Castillo's caliber in there um, is, is going to help that team quite a lot. But that's going to wrap up our American League side of the trade deadline so far. So let's jump over to the National League East side, and we're going to start in Philadelphia, who were probably one of the the more underrated active teams. Um, you know, even with some small moves, they acquired David Robertson from the Chicago Cubs for pitcher Ben Brown. Uh, then they acquired outfielder Brandon Marsh from the Angels for Logan Ohapi. They acquired Edmundo Sosa from the St. Louis Cardinals for left-handed pitcher Jojo Romero. And then their big move is acquiring Noah Syndergaard from the Angels for Mickey Moniak and Jadiel Sanchez. Yeah, I'll jump on uh, David Robertson. 
as you know the resident Cubs fan. He pitched superbly this season uh, as the Cubs closer, and he was extremely reliable to the point that you know his cutter has been biting more this year. And he he sp- spoke about it actually today in an interview and said that his elbow feels the best it's ever felt coming off of surgery. Um, which is, I think, kind of huge. And I think down the stretch, he's really going to help the Phillies in the bullpen. I mean, as for the Cubs, you knew they were going to have to trade David Robertson. He was 37. They signed him to do a one-year deal. They got half a season of really good performance from him. Um, had him, you know, throwing that cutter a ton, throwing the, the big curveball a ton. And, uh, you know, that, that, that pitch usage change, change, you know, coupled with the extra movement from his arm feeling healthy for the first time in years has, you know, catapulted his value up a ton. He was really effective going down the, you know, up until the deadline here and the Cubs were trying to rest off of him so that they could, uh, you know, preserve his kind of sub two ERA. But I, I like the pitcher they got big guy, six, six power sinker, double a 22, uh, the perfect little lottery ticket for, for a guy like David Robertson. And I think, I don't think the Phillies are, you know, they got painter. They kept able, uh, even through those bigger trades. But, uh, in terms of the Robertson deal, I think the Cubs win, the Phillies win good deal for all. And uh, Phillies are looking to make that playoff push. Yeah, I'll, uh, I'll talk about Brandon Marsh a little bit. This was a really weird trade because Brandon Marsh just got – I mean, he's a second-year player for the Angels um, who obviously are in need of guys who are going to be there a long time since they're, you know, not winning this year and they may or may not be rebuilding. Who knows what they end up doing, but – um, you know, but he's a guy that he had a high prospect pedigree. In fact, when he graduated from prospect lists last year, he was the number 11 overall prospect for fan graphs in the whole league. But at the same time, he's also a boom bust prospect or he was, and he had a high strikeout rates in the minor leagues for the most part, like upper twenties in, in, in the minors, which is pretty high. His walk rates are pretty good, but, um, you know, he's a guy who, since he's been in the big leagues, is the, the, the the worry with him and his hit tool and his approach at the plates really come to fruition. He's, he's really struggled to hit big league pitching in his first, you know, roughly full season of ball. Um, you know, a 30, 35% strikeout rate last year, 36% this year. He's not walking as much. He sees running an 80 WRC plus. He is a good defender in center field. So the Phillies definitely needed some help defensively. And, and that is something they're going to get through Brandon Marsh. It's, it's just good defense in center field, but Definitely a guy that, you know, could be – could or could not be good. And then uh, Logan O'Hop is a guy who, you know, he's blocked in, in Philly because of Real Muto being there. So it, it makes sense for them to want to move him. But, you know, I think they probably could have gotten a better piece moving him. He has been an absolute insane hitter uh, in the minor leagues. And at double A in 2022, uh, has a 139 WRC plus as a – as a catcher who's a pretty decent i think most people expect him to stick behind the plate so um and at only 22 years old so this is a guy you're really really stinks for the phillies to, to have to give him up for somebody like brandon marsh who he's under control but how good is he gonna be so it, it seems like he might be one of those like victor robles types who ends up being a good base runner defender but just never handles big league pitching but we'll see definitely a risky trade from from both ends here but um and, and one of the more interesting ones today. So, yeah, and then them uh, the Phillies acquiring Edmundo Sosa. I mean, we've talked time and time again on this podcast that the Phillies defense has been one of the worst defenses in the history of baseball, especially on the infield. Um, and they acquire a defensive first player that can play all three 
you know, up the middle and then third base um, and give you good defense there. He's not going to be much of an offensive player, but, you know, as long as they get some, some sort of a defense in there, they don't give it much. They give up left-handed pitcher Jojo Romero, um, who had kind of struggled with them, really didn't have a spot. Uh, and so it's pretty much an even trade there. The Cardinals get a pitching prospect that they can try and throw in their bullpen, and the Phillies get some so- sort of resemblance of defense on their roster. Yeah, and then I'll speak on Noah Syndergaard. Uh, Velocity's down this year, which uh, off of you know multiple – arm injuries is definitely a little bit concerning, but he's really remaking himself into more of a sinker pitcher that can get those ground ball outs, uh, carrying that low ERA and then the higher FIP this year. So, um, you know, making a trade for Syndergaard, uh, you know, and his, he's got a high salary too. that one year, $21 million deal with the angels made him kind of a rental for them. And he's looking to, you know, go into free agency this year and sign that multi-year deal sent, you know, to prove that he can pitch without injury. Um, you know, they were never the Angels were never going to get up much for Noah Syndergaard just because of that big salary. Uh, but the Phillies definitely looking for that starter that can kind of step into their number three spot behind Nola and Wheeler. And I think Syndergaard really fits that mold nicely since the, since he's become that sinker ball guy. I just hope that he doesn't end up sacrificing a lot of runs just because of that defense behind him. Hopefully, Edmundo Sosa can kind of make that that difference there at shortstop and then they can maybe slide Didi Gregorius to second and uh, you know improve that defense just a little bit Uh, they keep running Nick Castellanos out there in the outfield Kyle Schwarber's out in the outfield too and those guys you know one of those guys needs to be a DH every day and they've had multiple games this year where both of them are in the outfield so it's just uh, they haven't been optimizing their their massive offense lineup and I hope that Brandon Marsh and and Mundo Sosa can kind of provide that for Noah Syndergaard here um, in terms of giving yeah give and, and the Angels just unloaded the the pitcher for as much as they could, which I believe was Mickey Moniak. So Moniak will probably get a chance to uh, play some outfield in Los Angeles and uh, maybe remake his career with a fresh start uh, somewhere other than Philly where he's kind of viewed as a bust. Yeah, I want to I want to mention with Moniak. This is a guy that, you know, obviously he was the number one overall pick several years ago. He was a cost-saving number one pick, but um, I, I want to mention he has been really good in the minor leagues this year so far. Uh, he, they, there was a lot of swing changes. I remember them talking about it. he had a great spring training. Then he got injured early in the season, went back down to the minor leagues. He's been really good. He's got a 125 WRC plus at AAA. So I, I think that he was a legit value for the Angels to get to at least try him out with a change of scenery, see, give him some regular playing time and see if he can figure some things out at the big league level. And then Yadiel Sanchez, he, Watch out for him because he's the type of guy. He's he's a you know he's 21. He's in complex ball, but he's a switch hitter. You know he's and he's he's got some traits. He, so you know that's the type of guy. Sometimes you just got to watch out for. But uh, Mickey Moniak was an interesting guy for for to be put in this trade from the um, you know from from the from the for the Angels to, to get. So I'll be uh, kind of on the lookout to see how he does there. Yeah, it's going to be pretty interesting to see the long-term um, effects of both of those kind of Brandon Marsh and Nicky Moniak deals. But jumping over to the New York Mets now, um, a couple moves that I didn't even have on here was that they acquired Daniel Vogelbach, uh, Tyler Naquin, and then Michael Givens. I don't really have the returns off the top of my head, but uh, Vogelbach will be the DH for them against right-handers most of the time. Um, Givens will be an impact arm in that bullpen 
David will be able to talk to him about him because he was on the Cubs. Um, and then Naquin's kind of just a fourth outfielder, another lefty bat for them. Uh, but kind of that the other side of that DH platoon that the Mets acquired today was Darren Ruff from the San Francisco Giants with trading J.D. Davis. Uh, I'm not even going to try to announce the next guy's name. Thomas something. And then Nick Swack and Carson Seymour. Yeah, so I'll talk about the Darren Ruff trade first. Um, this was a really weird move to me because kind of off the top of my head, they just traded Darren Ruff, who is a fine player, uh, platoon bat, outfielder, for J.D. Davis, who is a fine player, platoon bat, outfielder, you know, could play first base, play a couple different infield spots. But, I, I mean, to me – like there's really no difference between these two players. They're exactly the same. I mean, um, they have very similar peripherals. I mean, I think that there's really no, not any difference. I mean, Ruff has a 105 WRC plus. JD Davis has a 102 WRC plus. And, and really, the big difference is the fact that JD Davis is not a free agent until 2025, while Ruff is a free agent. Well, he is a, it, you know, he's signed through next year only with a club option in 2024, but. Uh, Ruff is also 36 years old compared to Davis being 29, and the and the Mets give up prospects to make the swap. It, it doesn't really make a lot of sense to me. And 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 the guys that were you know not super high rated prospects, but they were real prospects. I mean, Zapuki's been in the big league some. Uh, you know, and Zwack was on their top 30. So I, I thought that was a really strange trade for me, and I don't really understand it from the Mets' point of view. I I get it though. I understand where it is is this was the Wilson Contreras package and the Cubs were not willing to take this. Yeah. That, that that's what I believe is that, that they there was mentioned that the the Mets and the Cubs had some JD Davis talks. I think it was back in June. And this makes some sense that it would have been a Wilson Contreras deal that the Cubs didn't want to take on cuz they didn't like JD Davis or for whatever reason. And so the Mets just turned and found the nearest partner that was willing to give them a DH for this package. Yeah, and I mean yeah. I don't think you can give the same package to Ter- for Taron Ruff as you do for a guy like Wilson Contreras, but it, I don't know. This is a weird one for me. So, Yeah, and there were some rumors about them also being interested in trading Dom Smith, and we didn't see that go anywhere either. Um, so that's going to be something that we can uh, you know look forward in the future, but I'm just glad Matt told me uh, how to say Zapuki now. Uh, I can so I can, hey, hey, we're going to roll with it, but uh, let, let's stay in the uh, American league East and we'll jump over to your Atlanta Braves now who made uh, a kind of a flurry of moves yet, uh, the night before the deadline. And then one big move at the end of the deadline, uh, but they acquired Jake Odorizzi from Houston for left-handed reliever, Will Smith. They acquire switch hitting outfielder Robbie Grossman from Detroit for Chris England. And then at the buzzer, they acquire Rysel Iglesias from the Angels for Jesse Chavez and Tucker Davidson. Yeah, and I, I might, I'll go through these real quick. It's, it's not, there's not huge moves, but Jake Odorizzi has been decent this year, but he struggled. He dealt with some injuries. He actually had a weird Achilles injury that ended up not being a tear or a break when a lot of people thought he would might be out for the year after suffering it. Uh, but he's come back and he's looked, okay he's kind of a number five starter slash you know long reliever type guy kind of a spot starter swing man uh the braves really needed that they've got some guys kind of like we were talking about with with the uh 
with the Mariners. They got a couple guys with Strider and Wright who are kind of cl- approaching the most they've ever thrown innings-wise. So kind of getting another guy, maybe go to a six-man rotation for, for a little while uh, could help. And they got rid of Will Smith, who's been absolutely atrociously bad this year. Uh, and, you know, really, I don't didn't really understand this move from Houston at all, except the fact that Houston actually had no lefties in their bullpen. Uh, so I guess they had to get a lefty of some kind, and the money kind of worked out with these two guys. They they have similar, you know, Will Smith's a free agent after this year. Odorizzi is is not, but Odorizzi's owed. They're basically owed, owed roughly the same amount of money over their over the rest of their deals. So, uh, you know, you look at Robbie Grossman coming to Atlanta, uh, a guy who's really struggled this year, but he hits lefties really well. And the Braves have Eddie Rosario playing uh, left field, who's a left-handed hitter. So I think that's just a straight up platoon right there uh another thing that was kind of interesting to me is that marcelo zuna has reverse splits too he's been DHing for atlanta so maybe throwing grossman up out there when you face a lefty uh could could make sense too chris anglin really wasn't a, a real prospect he, he's like a way down the line maybe could be a reliever type guy and then the big one rizal iglesias for jesse chavez and tucker davidson jesse chavez had been really really good for atlanta but i kind of get it with him his stuff's not good it might have been a little bit of smoke and mirrors. How good he been this year? Tucker Davidson is kind of that quadruple A type pitcher that is kind of blocked. I don't really think he's got a huge future, and it makes sense for for the Los Angeles to take him on because you know he's a guy who they could throw right into their rotation and, and maybe have something there. He was a pretty good prospect, and Braves getting Rizal Iglesias. One note is they are paying his full salary, which to me. I'm a little bit worried about the fact that they're paying his full salary because I don't know how good a value they're going to get there. But, you know, just what it does for the team, I think he's a good reliever. His peripherals are still really, really good, even though his ERA's been a little bit higher this year. So I think he's going to slot in perfectly. Him, Kenley Jansen, and Kirby Yates being, you know, three right-handed relievers, are, that's, that's really nasty. So uh, I thought Atlanta did a pretty good job, given the fact that they only have one top 100 prospect in their entire farm system. So... Yeah, and then I think what this also does is it gives you some insurance in the offseason going in with, um, you know, if, if Kenley doesn't decide to come back or whatever, you kind of have a closer locked in at that point because Iglesias can can slide over to that role pretty easily, um, and especially for the contract he's getting paid there. But jumping over to the National League Central, not many moves from here really, but the Milwaukee Brewers acquire Matt Bush from the Texas Rangers for Mark Mathias and Anton Kelly. And then the St. Louis Cardinals acquired Jose Quintana and Chris Stratton from Pittsburgh for Johan Oviedo and Malcolm Nunez. I know it was a couple days ago, but uh, the the Brewers traded Josh Hader to the Padres. David, we'll, get, we'll, get David. we'll get into that when we talk about the Padres. Still, I, I mean, they, that's a big trade in the NL, NL Central because they still went for something. Whatever. That, the rest of the moves are weird, and I think the NL Central's moves are punctuated by the lack of moves. The Cardinals did not trade for Juan Soto, and the Cubs did not trade Wilson Contreras or Ian Happ. Um, and those are significant to me, more so even than the trades that, that didn't happen. Uh, the Cardinals had, more, I think, a better package uh, to give the Padres than the – or rather the Nationals than the Padres did. And they didn't give them. They, they were clearly unwilling to part with Dylan Carlson and Jordan Walker. And I feel like that was a no-brainer. Um, I, I, those, if you just package those two and then maybe some lesser prospects, they probably get the deal done. And, and then the Cardinals have Juan Soto, Paul Goldschmidt, and Nolan Arenado in the middle of the lineup. 
the fact that they weren't willing to get to that point, it's just it's shocking to me. Um, and it, but it's nice as a Cubs fan, obviously, but I, I can't fathom why the Cardinals wouldn't have done that, uh, done that trade. And I think that Carlson's probably more valuable than any of the prospects that San Diego provided right now, but he's not even close to Juan Soto's value. So it's one of those things that you, you improve so mightily in left field if you're the Cardinals that you instantly become the division favorite. I, I don't, I don't see why, you know, now you're, you're banking on Jose Quintana to save your season. Ugh. But you know, the Cubs keeping Contreras after he's been very emotional about leaving the Cubs and he's slumped in July. I, you know, this has been a distraction for him and now he's being kept uh, to potentially lose money in the free agency pool. This is a, maybe a strange move, I think, but the Cubs have been clear that they did not like the offers that were provided for Contreras. And maybe we oversold his value as a bat um, and a cat, you know, half, maybe a catcher half the time uh, in the middle of the season as an acquisition. So I, I certainly don't hate keeping Contreras, but now the Cubs need to extend him, I think is the, the clear uh, next step because you can't really just go give him a qualifying offer. Cause I think he'll take it. Yeah, I, I I agree with you. I mean, I, I thought that I mean trading that for for one thing, Ian Happ is kind of one of those guys. It's like you know, it's not that big of a deal if you didn't like what you're going to get for him. You're going to have him next year. So I didn't think that that was the end of the world if if they weren't blown away by an offer. But I mean, with Contreras, I mean, obviously the Cubs did not think that whatever they were going to get for Contreras was worth the. I mean, that they thought they could do better with a comp pick in the draft than what they would have gotten for Contreras or, or that can be in the same situation, trade him next year in, at the deadline or, or have him next year if they're competing. So, I mean, I, I don't fully understand. I, I would have traded him, but you know, I, I get it to a certain level. Uh, you look at, um, you know, you look at Matt Bush, you know, talk about the guys who did get traded, Matt Bush, he's having a really good year for what was for Texas. Um, he'll be good in Milwaukee. One thing Milwaukee needed to do, and we'll get into the Josh Hader trade in a few minutes, but they did need to get a little more deep in their bullpen. Cause they really only had two really good guys there. So Matt Bush helps the depth of that bullpen. And then you look at uh, St. Louis as a guy who is, um, you know, a, or Jose Quintana is a guy who he struggled for the last couple of years. And, um, but you know, he's pitching really well this year. He's always been a guy. It's kind of interesting to think about. He's always been a guy that suppressed the home run ball and has run really low home run per fly ball rates. And I think it, it, it makes a lot of sense to me that the fact that his value, he, he stopped being an elite pitcher in 2017 after he got traded that was the first year of the real juice ball era and this year we're back to not juice ball and he's back to being really good i think the juice ball probably hurt him worse than any other pitcher and you might be right about that yeah and it, and it kind of goes to show because he's always been a guy who limits who, who who limits the quality contact limits the home run ball he always runs really low home run for fly ball rates and i remember reading back in we used to the white Sox that them talking about how it was really weird how he was able to do it because it wasn't like he's like a 60% ground ball guy. It wasn't like he was striking out 10 guys per nine innings, but he just never gave up home runs. So I think that probably had a little bit to do with, with him, but uh, he's been really good this year. So um, you look at that and then, you know, Pittsburgh got a pretty good haul for him. Johan Oviedo is a guy who was pretty highly thought of as a prospect. He, he's been in the big league some now, uh, this is he's twenty. It's twenty twenty two. He made his debut in twenty twenty. So 
He hasn't been especially good in the big leagues. He might be damaged goods at this point, but you know it's a little bit like last year with the Bryce Wilson trade. Uh, that when the, when they acquired Bryce Wilson, maybe they can reclaim him, and if not, it's not like you're you know it's going to wreck your season. So um, definitely interesting interesting guy for them to get back there. And good on the Pirates for keeping Brian Reynolds, by the way. Yeah, for sure. Uh, another guy who does not need to be moved right now. Pirates are on the way up. Got a bunch of prospects hitting the majors. Got to keep some of these yep. veterans around who, uh, who've been there a long time. So they traded Vogelbach. They traded Quintana. That's it. You know, you, you stem the flow there and you keep bringing guys up that can uh, affect your, your play in the future. So um, overall, NL Central, pretty quiet except for the Brewers. Yep. Absolutely. So let's jump over to the National League West now where we have the Los Angeles Dodgers acquire Joey Gallo from the New York Yankees for Clayton Beater and then acquire Chris Martin from the Cubs for utility guy Zach McKinstry. Yeah, I'll, I'll talk about Joey Gallo first so David can get to uh, with the Cubs trade. But uh, Joey Gallo is a guy who I've never been a huge fan of Joey Gallo. I know a lot of people like him, and, and you know, by numbers, you know, he's been pretty valuable. Last year, 4.4 wins above replacement, but there's something to me about a guy who's striking out 38% of the time that just – and also has a bad batting average. He doesn't hit, doesn't hit get good – you know, doesn't do well on balls and play either. Um, he really is just a home runner bust guy, and I think for one thing, the, the, the non-juiced ball, as I was talking about with, with Quintana, I think it's hurt Joey Gallo a lot. But he's definitely got some issues. I will say that with him, the I think the Yankees being be with the Yankees and being in that environment in New York really hurt him. Um, I think that there was he had a lot of issues with you know the fans there and stuff. So that might be he might be you know better you know not in New York, but um, he's definitely a guy that you know. It's interesting for the Dodgers. They, they probably could use him in a corner outfield. They've been playing Jake Lamb out there some. Trace Thompson's playing a lot in the outfield. They, they could definitely upgrade. And if you can reclaim, you know, fix Joey Gallo, then then you could have something there. I don't especially love giving up a real prospect for him at this stage in Clayton Beater, but Clayton Beater's also a guy who's walking tons of guys at double-A. So, uh, you know, he's really a high-risk, high-reward type prospect. He's not – it's not like he's some, you know, surefire talent. So uh, definitely an interesting trade there. And, and it probably does help the Dodgers, you know, the rest of the season. So, Yeah, and Beater, just to jump on the – sorry, David. Uh, Beater is probably more likely going to be a bullpen arm at some point anyways. And Gallo will at least give them some sort of, you know, better defense out in the outfield over a Jake Lamb. Um, and they weren't giving much offensive production anyways. Uh, so little either easy way there but david what uh what about the uh chris martin for zach mckinstry deal yeah so i this is my favorite trade the cubs made um i think pretty easily chris martin is and and matt can attest a, a world series capable pitcher he was in the world series last year pitched well um and this year brought 95 mile an hour sinker to the cubs he gave up a few extra homers than he had been in years past but i I really don't think that that's indicative of anything moving forward. He could very well step over to the Dodgers and throw, you know, scoreless innings the rest of the way. Um, and this is a typical, you know, guy that got forced out in Zach McKinstry, where in order to, 
you know, facilitate the rest of that lineup where you have Gavin Lux and you have Trey Turner and you have all these guys. Zach McKinstry doesn't have any room to, to play Major League Baseball, and that's where he needs to play right now to develop. So uh, just a typical reclamation a little bit uh, by the Cubs to try to grab a, a guy at, who can play second base, shortstop, all the outfield positions. Um, great utility player, the kind of guy that you want on the bench on a competitive team. Um, and and maybe he can step into being a starter and cut that strikeout rate in the major leagues because in the minors, his strikeout rate tends to sit at like 10, 15 to 20%. Majors, it's up at 30%. So, you know, if the Cubs can tweak something in his approach, maybe the sequencing of his pitches and when he attacks pitches, maybe he'll get a little aggressive, um, you know, to try to change the trajectory of his career. Uh, then they can at least get a, a high-quality utility player who may not be an above-average offensive contributor, but it, you know, at the end of the day, if they can get the guy who hits for a 115 to 120 WRC plus in the minor leagues, uh, that's a, an absolute steal on their end. But you know, the Dodgers won't feel that because he got forced out. You know, there's a lot of talent above him. So, um, you know, great job of, of picking up a, a guy that can help them right now and you know with Nick Madrigal kind of being hurt and in and out of the lineup um, and ineffective when he wasn't there and then you've got you know a lot of playing time the rest of the way here for for some of these guys young guys to get a chance Um, this is the perfect jump you know spot to jump on a guy like Zach McKinstry for the Cubs yeah I agree with you David I think it's that was a good move for the Cubs and and Chris Martin is guy who I mean it's he's so weird last year he was uh, he quit striking people out. It was weird. And this year he's back to striking people out. So, you know, if he can keep that up, I think the home runs will come down. He's a high home run per fly ball rate. Uh, he's probably adjusted a little bit. Last year, a lot of Braves fans, as he was on the Braves, were talking about how they thought he might have been a sticky stuff band, uh, you know, guy who, who was really hurt by that. But uh, maybe he's made his adjustments to figure that back out now. So we'll see what ends up happening with, with Chris Martin. You know, as we David and I were talking about before the show, you know, he's just going to take innings away from Reyes Maranta. So it's not like it's some kind of, you know, awful thing. And McKinstry was totally blocked in, in, in L.A. So there was no place for him there. So you might as well ship him off and get a reliever who's got some upside. So definitely an interesting trade there. But I, I think it works for both teams. Yeah, it does. And like you mentioned, it's just going to be a, a middle relief guy um, to go into that bullpen. But. We'll move over to the uh, to the real winners of the trade deadline here, and that's with the San Diego Padres making two blockbuster trades. Um, the the first one is acquiring Juan Soto and Josh Bell from the Washington Nationals for Luke Voigt, Mackenzie Gore, C.J. Abrams, Robert Hassel, James Wood, and Harlan Susana. I think we're both going to have a lot of thoughts on this one. <laughs> I'll, yeah. I'll go ahead and start. Um, I mean it's hard to even find a place to start on this Juan Soto 23 years old. Everyone knows about him. He's one of the best players in the game. Uh, you know, in all likelihood it's going to be a future hall of famer. You know, he's having a down year this year, but he's still pinned like a 151 WRC plus in a down year. Um, he's going to be insane. He's projected by the projection systems to have a 174, which is like trout level hitting, uh, pro- projected. Uh, now I will say that his defense and base running are horrible, um, which, you know, is something that, you know, long-term, you know, maybe affects him, you know, he, if he had good base running and defense, he'd be the best player ever. 
but that doesn't really make him not good. But he's 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 insane. Uh, and then Josh Bell being thrown in here too. I mean, Josh Bell is a guy who, um, you know, he's been really good this year. He's been up and down throughout his career. First baseman slash DH type guy. Um, you know, obviously at 142 WRC plus is a career high for him. Uh, he's done this before. He had a really hot start in 2019. His track record's been a little bit of inconsistency, but uh, definitely a good pickup when you're playing Eric Hosmer at first base every day. So, uh, but the big the big question is everyone knew that this was going to – everyone knows this is a great move for the Padres when it comes to their team. But, you know, I think the big question mark going into this was what's, what's the return going to look like? And honestly, I, I really don't think the return's quite as much as I was kind of expecting – um, I do think that the that the Nationals got some guys who are probably undervalued by prospect lists in, in the industry. Uh, I think that like James Wood is a guy who's probably more of like a top 50, top 40 type prospect, the way he's played at, at, uh, in A-ball this year than he is a uh, 66th overall prospect type guy. Uh, Robert Hassel the third is, is a really, really good looking prospect at high A, center fielder. It's got to be... You know, top. He's a top forty guy. C.J. Abrams is very interesting. Um, I think that you know we might David and I, from what we talked about earlier, have a little disagreement on C.J. Abrams. I'm not super. I think he's good. I think he's a really solid prospect, but I think he's really risky. Uh, I'm not super high on him, uh, but I think he could work out. And then Mackenzie Gore, being a guy who's been in the big leagues a lot this year, he's another guy that. He's been a, he's, his prospect pedigree is really, really good, but he's had some inconsistency at times. So I am a little bit worried about, you know, him being a star, but you know, at the same time, he's got such high upside. Um, you know, I think the nationals definitely went for upside in this deal, but, and I do think that it was a little bit of a, of an underpay from the, from the Padres. I think the Padres definitely got, you know, didn't have to give up, you know, too much for this compared to what, when you start talking about it being Juan Soto, you know, but uh, definitely an interesting trade and, and one of the biggest blockbusters we've seen in a long time. Someone on Twitter said it perfectly earlier, and uh, I, I want to try to paraphrase. It was the – this is the Miguel Cabrera trade yeah. from the Marlins to the Tigers from about 2009. Uh, Miguel Cabrera at that point was a superstar, but he was kind of you know flailing away in Miami, traded to the Tigers – won two MVPs, went absolutely insane, Hall of Fame career. And so you look at this with Juan Soto, and I can't believe this was all it took. I really thought the Padres were going to have to give up, you know, two more top – the two other top prospects, probably Campusano and Merrill, um, or at least Morahan, um, uh, who's their kind of top remaining pitching prospect. You know, those guys aren't stars or anything, but it's just that extra value. And then I can't believe that they got the Nationals to throw in Josh Bell either. Uh, but I, when I, I went and pulled it up because I was curious. And let me read you Juan Soto's stats since 2020. Started 2020 to now. 296 batting average, 449 on-base percentage, 542 slugging. Uh, 418 Woba, 165 WRC+. Plus. 14% strikeout rate, 21.5% walk rate, 63 homers, 21 stolen bases, 212 runs scored. He scored the same number of runs as Mookie Betts 
who is a famously, you know, a good base runner guy who's going to get around the, you know, the bases a lot faster. That's absolutely crazy to me. Juan Soto is, is kind of a one-man wrecking machine in left field, and he's going to be a Hall of Famer. Matt already said it. I, I think this he came up at 19, right? He's younger than some of the prospects he just got traded for. I think he's younger than Mackenzie Gore. Uh, this is – I can't believe the Nationals traded him at this point. Like, the, you can't trade away like a Hall of Famer this good, this young, right? He's He's got two and a half years left. This is the Nationals' owners. This is at their directive because they're going to sell the team. They want the team to have a clear direction of tanking and, and then moving forward at the you know towards the future for the the new owners to be able to to step in and have. This is the perfect place for any team to jump in and acquire a Hall of Famer to go ahead and you know supplant their World Series run, and that's what the Padres have done right here. I. I you have to call them the World Series favorites at this point, but it's like they're not even leading the division, right? The Dodgers are leading the division. This, this team is not even complete. You know, it's and Juan Soto is going to go in here and, you know, bat with around Manny Machado and Fernando Tatis. This is a, a absolute juggernaut of a team, and they're not in first place yet. So the Padres have spent all this currency. A.J. Preller has gone off the deep end going for this, and I love it, but – I cannot believe someone, some other team didn't want to try to beat this. Even a team like, you know, teams that are tanking, like the Orioles or the Cubs or the Pirates, these teams with big prospects, they could pay this. Extend Juan Soto and then, you know, build your team from there because apparently all it took was five or six pretty good prospects. Yeah, and, you know, I wonder, you know, based on – the way that things sounded about Juan Soto, I wonder he, you know, he turned down the four hundred something million dollar extension, which I do think is a, the AAV on it was really low. But I wonder if he would have signed any deal because as long as he was with, you know, Washington, they were going to be bad for like the next five years, regardless of whether Juan Soto was there or not. I wonder if he basically told Washington, "I'm not signing any extension here," you know, because I want to go win. I, I wonder if that had maybe had something to do with it too, but. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I, you know, if you're Washington, I mean, I feel like for one thing, I feel like you could definitely have gotten this package in the off season, you know, I, I think it, it may be even better because other teams would have gotten involved, you know, right now it's just contenders getting involved because teams that aren't contending don't want to pay for three season, three pennant races when they're only going to be involved in two. But I mean, this was, this is a return that I would have expected from, you know, with two years of control, you know? So um, it, it'll be interesting, you know, now that we, you know, kind of getting out of the way the trade to, you know, maybe the, um, it'll be interesting to see what, uh, if the Padres are able to lock him up long-term, I think that's kind of the next big thing or the, if the Padres going to, I mean, they're going to be spending well over a billion dollars on three players if they do, which is pretty insane. But I mean, for the three players that it would be, it might be worth it. So, um, yeah, so here's what I saw. Oh, go ahead, Damien. I was going to say, so jumping in on it, um, as far as the, the extension talks with Juan Soto, as far as that part, um, Scott Boris has, because he's a Boris client, had come out and said that he wasn't signing an extension until the new ownership was in place with Washington at least. Yeah. Um, and the new ownership, whoever that's going to be, I guess they wanted Juan Soto gone beforehand. Um, so that's kind of what happened there. It, it comes to a point where I feel like AJ Preller, I mean, we've talked about him. He went off the deep end here, and you just mentioned the the payroll flexibility. If they're going to be able to have enough to re-sign him, it feels like they've really pigeonholed themselves into this two and a half year run with Soto, because 
they don't have any prospects left. Their pitching isn't the greatest. I mean, I know they re-signed Musgrove to an extension, but Darvish is getting older there. You just traded Gore. I mean, Clevenger's going to be having to get re-signed soon. I mean, you don't have a clear pitching, you know, staff behind that coming up. And, you know, are you going to be able to commit that much money to the three people? Because we've seen them not be the willingness to go into the luxury tax threshold like a team like the Dodgers have been willing to do. Um, so that's going to be interesting to see what happens here um, in the next couple of years. Cause I feel like they've really pushed their chips in for two and a, you know, two and a half years of, Hey, we're going for it. And then after that, we don't really know where we're, we're at after that. The explanation I saw, and I don't remember if it was Passan or one of the main baseball writers, but they said that the, the idea was to go for the world series this year and next year, and then evaluate in that off season, the 2023 off season, of whether or not they could trade Soto for maybe a lesser return, but a similar, you know, echelon of prospects, you know, one or two guys, um, and then, you know, recoup value in their system that way. And I, I think that may be a brilliant strategy if they can do that, right? And you're absolutely giving, you know, let's say you just get exactly back, you know, James Wood and CJ Abrams, for example, you are absolutely giving up those four prospects for the year and a half of Juan Soto, right? So, yeah. They are focused, I think, fully on the first this this year and next year, and then whether or not they trade Juan Soto after that will be you know twenty twenty three off season's problem. They're not focused on an extension. They're just going to go in and try to win the World Series in twenty twenty two and twenty twenty three, and you know bottom line. Yeah, I mean, and that screams what AJ Preller's done in the past too. I mean, he has repeatedly thrown his chips in on one season and hoped that it went well you know and i think this season is he's made better moves this season to do it with with juan soto and, and we'll talk about josh Hader in a minute but i think that uh, this is definitely i think that definitely could be the case and of course you might also they might also look at you know thing a lot of things can change in just a couple of years too so you know well juan soto you know he might love being in san diego and they might do so well that and then they might they might resign him you know in this offseason you know, he also might, he's a guy, you know, what if he's, it's one player, what if he gets hurt, you know, then you might, you know, not get anything back for him and let him walk, you know, and maybe the Padres lose a bunch of their talent and are, you know, struggle next year, even with their top couple guys. And then they decide to trade him like you're talking about. So it, I think there's a lot of moving pieces and I don't think this is a situation like, like with the Matt Olson deal earlier this season or something where a guy's going to get like an immediate contract extension though. I think it probably will be this at least in the off season this year. So, yeah, I don't, I'm not even sure it's going to be at that point. Yeah. Um, it, it might not be, but it, it like I said, I, it really road. does feel like it's going to be a, a the two and a half year thing and kind of play it out for that part. But we're going to stay with the Padres. I mean, we, we might jump into the, the Soto conversation in another episode. But staying with the Padres, they also did acquire Brandon Drury from the Cincinnati Reds for shortstop prospect Victor Acosta. And then the other move that we've been talking about, the San Diego Padres acquired Josh Hader from the Milwaukee Brewers for relief pitcher Taylor Rogers, Denilson Lamette, and two prospects, Yastru Ruiz and Robert Gasser. Yeah, so I'll jump on the Drury one first. Uh, I mean, Drury is a guy who – kind of an interesting one too. But he had a really good – he's having a really good season, um, and but he has no track record of success, and he's a rental. 
So the Reds definitely 100% going to trade him. And they got an interesting prospect. Victor Acosta is a guy who has pretty good numbers in, in the minor leagues. He, he crushed the Dominican Summer League last year, age 17, 2022. Um, has been decent in complex ball uh, in 32 games. About a league average hitter. He's a top number 12 prospect in the Padres organization. So he was definitely a, a guy who was... You know, at least uh, at least interesting. And, you know, when you're trading Brandon Drury, who is a career below average to average-ish hitter and not a, doesn't give you a lot of defensive value, doesn't give you a lot of base running value, who's just having a really hot start to hit, or first half of, of his season this year in Cincinnati, you know, I don't think you're – I don't think you're really overpaying. And the only thing about it was, I think it was kind of weird because, I mean, the, you know, Brandon Drury is mostly a, an infielder. I know he can play some outfield, but he's really played mostly second and third base through his career. And, I mean, you got Manny Machado at third and you got Jake Cronenworth playing second. So, and you also have Tatis coming back potentially, probably playing outfield this year, but, but maybe playing short. And then you got, you know, Hassan Kim playing short. So you got you just got a log jam there and it's kinda of weird to grab Brandon Drury um, you know, for, for this team. But I mean at the same time Brandon Drury's been really good, so I mean you can't fault him too much for it. I might call this the biggest overpay um in the deadline, which is saying something. I think we have we've seen it, it's this or Luis Castillo for Noel V Marte plus. Yeah. Um but Drury has having, you know, one of those years where I don't know how much of that is Great American ballpark. I kind of expected the, him to fetch less. Uh, Acosta is kind of a decent prospect, should be a major league player at some point. So, you know, that's a bit of a questionable call. But, hey, how about the Reds? I mean, they picked up a ton of prospects in this yeah. in this deadline. I think there are a bunch of them are shortstop prospects, which is kind of funny. Uh, but you know, to, to jump to the hater deal, they swap Rod, Taylor Rogers and Josh Hader. Both of them had stretches this year where they were really good. Both of them had stretches this year where they were extremely bad. Uh, Josh Hader had like a 12 ERA in July. Um, so I look you know, at this trade as a change of scenery for Hader, but I don't really know what the Brewers are doing because Rodgers is kind of an identical situation to Hader, and it, it ends up being a kind of almost a one-for-one -one swap to the point that it's going to affect the teams this year. Uh, the Brewers are going to have to make their playoff push with Devin Williams as the closer instead of Hader, and then they'll move Rodgers probably to the setup man. But, you know, Hader's going to close for the Padres, and, and he's going to be pitching those big innings in the playoffs. And the thing about Hader is he either strikes you out or he gives up a home run, it seems like. So um, I wonder if we won't see maybe a, a late home run in the in the playoffs off of Josh Hader because of this. And I don't know if he was maybe the right acquisition at the in the bullpen for the – uh, the Padres, I think I like, you know, guys like Efros and guys like um, uh, Jorge Lopez a, lo a little bit more in terms of being effective relievers for less cost than having to give up, you know, Rogers and, you know, you're picking up Hader's salary and the the stigma of you have to start, you know, put Hader in that closer spot within the ninth inning to get the saves. I, I just don't know if that was the right move if you want to win in the playoffs right here. Given that the Braves' is kind of model of winning in the playoffs last year was have, you know, two piggybacking four inning guys. Uh, the Padres don't really have that. They're more of a traditional team. I wonder if that's going to hurt them in the playoffs. Well, I, I think my, my big problem just with this trade, sorry, Matt, to cut you off there, but they, I mean, you pick up Hader, you have the extra year of control for sure, but the closer role wasn't your issue. 
Like, and you might have slightly upgraded it with between Rodgers and Hader, but the rest of the bridge to that closer's role was the issue. And you didn't really do anything to solve that. You just brought in Hader to, I guess, lock down the save situations, yeah. which was already happening with Rodgers. And you gave up the closer. You gave up another potential bullpen arm that you kind of were using there. And then, you know, Gasser, who a lot of people seem to like more than prospect lists actually do, um, that people are saying he could be a legit, like, you know, back into the rotation pitcher there. I mean, and you didn't help solve the 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 bridge between your starting rotation and that closer's role, actually. Yeah, I mean, I agree. This this screamed to me a, a Preller-type deal that we've seen a million times where he goes after a big name and that, you know, is probably a little bit over, you know, and he overpays for it. I mean, we've seen it so many times. We saw it back when, you know, he traded Yasmani Grandal for Matt Kim. I mean, when his first year or so, trading traded for Justin Upton. I mean, traded Max Fried for Justin Upton. I mean, he's, you've seen it a million times from Preller, and it seems to blow up in his face most of the time. I don't know if this one will. He might get, he might, you know, be able to get away with this one, but, um, you know, it, it just doesn't make a ton of sense. Uh, but at the same time, I mean, Josh Hader has got definitely got a longer, longer track record of, and is a little bit better than Taylor Rogers. I mean, you probably save a tiny bit of money this year because of Denelson Lamette moving, which it just feels like Denelson Lamette's a guy that the Milwaukee's going to figure out how to make him into a really good reliever too. But um, I don't know. It, it's kind of a weird trade for me. I mean, I guess it makes sense from the standpoint of, you know, you. I, I don't think they're very worried about Hater. You know, his last month. I mean, look at his track record of the last over his entire career, and then look at the last month. Like, you know, it's. I, th- I don't think it's that big of a deal, but definitely a guy who. Um, you know, I definitely think he. They probably got a little bit better in the bullpen, but you know, I think that at the same time, I don't know if it was really worth paying two prospects and a major league pitcher to make to make that uh, to make up the difference between Taylor Rogers and Josh Hader. So definitely kind of weird, but yeah. And I, I do look at Milwaukee now and you see a, a hole in the back end of their bullpen, you know? Yeah. It's filled by Devin Williams, obviously at the closer spot, he can step in. He's been stepping in with Hader struggling. He steps in when Hader's out, but Devin Williams was really strong in the eighth inning to set Hader up. And, you know, they were kind of a thunder and lightning from the right and left side. Now you're sitting on Taylor Rogers, who's not nearly as reliable as Hader. I think this negatively affects Milwaukee's playoff uh, chances, and it positively impacts St. Louis's playoff chances in the NL Central, because I don't think either of those teams are going to be good enough to win the wild card. Uh, The Phillies making all those additions. I I think the Phillies are going to probably, you know, be able to stay in front of whoever's second in the NL Central. And so then, you know, you look at the Cubs didn't get worse. The Pirates didn't get a lot worse. So those teams are going to be, you know, decently competitive. Whereas, you know, we've seen before, like the Reds are going to be pretty disastrous. Uh, but the, their division didn't get a whole lot worse than it already was. And they already didn't have very many wins. So whoever loses out between the Brewers and the Cardinals is not in the playoffs. And, you know, the Cardinal, the Brewers get worse in the bullpen right here. They you know, Matt Bush comes in, but I, I don't feel like Matt Bush is going to offset the loss of Josh Hader and the, the attitude that that would kind of give where instead of adding at the deadline as a contender, you're subtracting and kind of supplanting. It, it screams to me that the Brewers are not making the right moves here. And 
that's where I, I kind of lament again against the Cardinals. Why would you not go and get that kill shot of Josh of Juan Soto uh, to, to fully embrace that ability to jump ahead? Uh, there was rumors of the Cardinals going after Pablo Lopez. They didn't do that. Uh, the Cardinals missed an opportunity here, I think, to put the Brewers away because the Brewers look like they're struggling and not really having a, a direction right now. I, I think this is a missed opportunity by both teams, really, because why were the Brewers doing this when they need to be out there adding, trying to get in the playoffs right here? Because all you got to do is get in. Was last year we saw the Braves were one of the last teams in, and they won the World Series. The Nationals won the World Series like four years ago from the wild card. It's going to to be kind of a crapshoot once you get there. Obviously, you want the better players, but the Brewers are not doing anything to get better in the playoffs here and, and not doing anything to get to the playoffs even. So a couple things off that. So you mentioned the, uh, the nationals winning the world series is kind of funny because the year they did that, all three players from the infamous wildcard game moment are on this Padres now with Trent Grisham, Juan Soto and Josh Hader um, are all on the Padres now as, as teammates. Yeah. But um, you know, at least from Milwaukee side, I don't, I mean, yes, you lost Josh Hader, but in all, I think you overall improved the depth of your bullpen at that that area. Like the gap between for as as a closer strictly, because I, I believe Devin Williams will probably still stay in the eighth inning. They'll probably use Rogers as the ninth inning guy, or they'll do it based on the matchup between those two. I mean, Rogers has been pretty good this year as well, and he has a pretty good history of being a, a back end of the you know back end of the bullpen type guy. You didn't really lose that much of a gap there and you were able to bring in Matt Bush and Denilson Lamette that if you're able to fill out or to figure out what Denilson Lamette needs as a, you know, to be a, a shutdown reliever there, you could improve the overall depth of your bullpen while not sacrificing so much as at just the closer's role itself. Yeah. I mean, it, Honestly, I think it ends up, after the moves, kind of a wash for the Brewers. I don't really think they got better. I don't really think they got much worse. It kind of just depends on what you think of Taylor Rogers. I mean, you know, I don't think he's as good as Josh Hader, but he's not, like, a bad closer. He's a de- he's a good closer. If Josh Hader's the, you know, people think he's, you know, top five closer in the game, then Taylor Rogers is probably somewhere between the fifth and tenth best closer in the game, although they both had bad month, one bad month this year. So... I, I don't know. It just feels like, to me, this trade just kind of didn't make a ton of sense from either side. It, 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 but, but it, uh, you know, the Brewers obviously wanted to move on from Hater for some reason, too. So, uh, you know, there was something about Hater that they just they were like, we got to get him out of here. Because it, it just seems like this trade was kind of a weird one. To, it's not like they get grabbed some, you know, big-time guy for him. You know, it's kind of like they just kind of slightly downgraded the closer role and maybe grabbed a couple of decent prospects like i don't know it didn't make a ton of sense to me but um definitely don't i definitely am not a ever really a huge fan of the buy sell type thing so uh you know some people like that but i I don't so yeah well that is wraps up all the trades that we had um at least i think we talked over 30 trades um in just this episode alone there were plenty more that happened on a much smaller scale that we didn't get to um, maybe as we, as the players play and, and they have good weeks, some we might revisit some of this that stuff. But overall, uh, before we end this episode, what are your guys' overall thoughts on the trade deadline and the outlooks of this postseason run that we're gonna, you know, head off into? 
Well, I guess I can go ahead and start. Um, I, I mean, I thought it was a really, really interesting trade deadline. Anytime you end up with, with the Juan Soto, um, you know, being involved, you know, it, that's when it got really interesting because there was a lot of time there where people were thinking this wasn't going to be that big of a deadline, which uh, outside of Soto, it was really kind of a normal, you know, when it came to, like, who was being traded type thing. Uh, but I thought that um, – you know, there were some good winners and losers. I definitely think the Padres were a big winner. They, they they got Soto. They did give up a lot, but I don't think they gave up what I expected Soto to fetch. Um, and then, you know, they got a couple other guys who were really going to help them too. Uh, I think the Yankees did a really good job. They really didn't give up that much of anything other than they, they gave up a couple pitching prospects, but they didn't give up like one, any of their top five type guys. Uh, and, and they got a lot better with Frankie Montas being kind of the headliner there. Um, I definitely thought the, I thought there was some bizarre moves by teams not selling. Like we talked a lot about the Cubs or, or buying teams, not selling or buying. Like we talked about the Cubs, but I thought the Red Sox deadline was really bizarre. Uh, they kind of bought Ansel. We talked about them selling Christian Vasquez, but then they traded for Tommy Pham was one we didn't really talk about, but they traded for Eric Hosmer, which, I thought it was just going to be a prospect dump, but it really wasn't because since San Diego was paying all of his money, so it was kind of, that was kind of a weird thing. Um, they traded for Reese McGuire as well, uh, and then you had like the White Sox really didn't do anything. Um, you had the, you know, it just seemed kind of weird with some of these teams. Like the Rays didn't do a whole lot, um, you know, and then some teams not selling. Like we talked about the Cubs, but the Tigers didn't sell anything other than Robbie Grossman. Like, why did they not trade Andrew Chafin? I mean, that that made zero sense to me. Why, why they didn't trade yeah. Andrew Chafin? He's like the best lefty reliever on the market outside of Hater, and they didn't trade him. Like, I, I don't understand that at all. Uh, of course, the Tigers are in the predicament they're in for a reason. I mean, I felt like the Royals probably could have sold off a couple other pieces they have, but of course they're the Royals. So you kind of expect them to not do anything smart typically. Um, but like Michael A. Taylor is one. I mean, I don't know why they didn't sell him. Um, but uh, definitely at the end of the day, I think that you look at uh, over the landscape. Oh, and, and, I, and I didn't think that I didn't think the Dodgers really did as much as I thought. I thought they were going to go out and try to get somebody a little bit more um, established in, in that rotation. Um, so that was kind of interesting to me. They really didn't do much of anything. They just got Joey Gallo on a down here. So. Uh, but you look at, um, you know, you look at what happened, and I really don't think anybody really moved the needle all that much. Uh, the Mets also didn't get anybody really, other than a few kind of DH type guys and a couple of relievers who aren't closers. Uh, but you know, you kind of look at like, um, I don't, I think everyone kind of stood pat for the most part, except for you know the Padres uh, and who got a lot better, and everyone else I think just got you know marginally better. Uh, I think the, the Mariners got a lot better too. Of course, they did overpay for what the, the amount they got better, but I think they that's going to help them a lot in the playoff push. But we'll see what ends up happening. I think it's going to be a really exciting couple months here, and uh, I think this trade deadline sets up a really interesting last couple of months. I'm really glad that you know I know Damian's going to hate me for saying this, but I'm really glad that Soto went to the Padres because I think that it, I think that's really good for the competition in the league. I think if he goes to the Dodgers, it's just like why even watch it anymore it's kind of like when Kevin Durant went to the Warriors or something you know I think going to the Padres I think that creates a really good uh, matchup between those two teams um, you know I would have said the same thing if he had gone to the Cardinals uh, where it kind of 
creates another really major World Series contender? Because I think right now there's probably, you know, three or four in the National League who are legit World Series contenders between the Dodgers, the Padres, the Mets, the Braves, um, you know, and then and in the American League, I think that, um, you know, I think things are things are going to heat up. That AL East is, is pretty wild. And uh, the AL Central is going to be really wild down the stretch, even though none of those teams really have a shot to, to be uh, – be world champions at the end of the day but i think that that division that division is going to be really interesting down the stretch too so definitely an interesting trade deadline and uh you know uh we'll see what ends up happening but david what what did, what did you think about everything so my i was i was decided i was going to give three uh wins winners and three losers i i think that's a, a good number i can dump on a couple teams that i don't like what they did uh, and then approve of a couple of teams. So my number one winner, Padres. I, we've talked about them in, in length. They're not going to go into it. They, Juan Soto. End of story. Uh, winner number two would be the Mariners. Luis Castillo, we've gone into it. I really want them to make the playoffs. They, they're they doing everything right. I wish they would have supplanted the bullpen a little bit, but I think we're underestimating how good their bullpen is. Paul Seawald is really good, and they've developed a lot of really strong arms there. Um, so the Mariners are going to be one to watch as you go down the stretch winner number three i'm going to go with the yankees because of frankie montas and then benintendi i think those were actually the two best possible outcomes for the yankees uh benintendi setting the table for judge is ju- it just makes so much sense uh to me and and then you know montas and they they obviously got scott efros i love scott efros think he's going to be a stud in the bullpen so yankees are winner number three for sure in terms of what they give up, it really doesn't matter. They could have given up Volpe and Peraza, gotten these guys, and they still would be winners in my eyes because they got so much good talent at the major league level. The fact that they didn't give the, up those guys and were only able to only give up Waldachuk and Wisniewski, that's a pretty solid uh, trade deadline for the Yankees because I think those guys are legit MLB starting pitcher uh, you know, guys, but they're not superstars, and, and they got superstars back, I think. So um, really strong deadline for the Yankees. My loser teams are the Baltimore Orioles, who are three games out of the AL wild card and are selling. I, I, that is absolutely the wrong move. You can't do that. Even if the Baltimore Orioles had just stood pat and kept Trey Mancini and kept Jorge Lopez and missed the playoffs, no one would have questioned it. Everyone would have been fine with it. Uh, there's no guarantee that you get multiple lottery picks back, you know, back to back. You know, it's you only get it once. Orioles picked high this year. They picked. But first this year, they've got a ton of prospects. They could have bought, you know, light, kept all their top prospects, kept all that currency. They didn't do it. Uh, they they could have they could have made the playoffs this year. They realistically could have. They wouldn't have won the World Series, but they could have gone in and picked up Tyler Maley for an interesting player uh, and, and kind of to lead their rotation. They're getting John Means back next year. Like they're going to have a team that's decent enough to to get into the playoffs. The Orioles can't have done that. That they're loser number one. Uh, loser number two is the Guardians. What are they doing? They're you know you're watching the Twins get better, and I'll even say the White Sox too. They, the Guardians and the Twins needed to be active here. They're right there, neck and neck with the Twins. The Twins go out and get Maley. They go out and get Fulmer. They go out and get Lopez. White Sox don't really have anything to do anything. They don't have any currency. Their prospect system is the worst in baseball. The Guardians just didn't do anything. They, they were pat for for nothing. They need another bat probably and just didn't pony up. So those those two are just – they're kind of in the same boat for me. You, you have a very winnable division. You're not going to win the wild card. Why not go for it here? 
you know, but they didn't even sell. So it wasn't like they took a direction. It's very aimless, and that's, I think, the wrong call. And then the last loser is the Roy- the Rays. They have a huge prospect cash, and you all, all you come out with is Jose Siri. I, come on, what are you doing? They, they could have upgraded a catcher, could have traded for Contreras. They could have gone out and, and picked up another reliever. Uh, we know the Rays love their, you know, spinny relievers. And there were plenty of them available. They didn't pick anything up. They they simply just didn't go for it, but they didn't sell either. And we've seen that the Rays can shift the, the, the direction of the franchise simply by selling, uh, you know, when they picked up Baz and Glass now in the same trade. So, you know, no direction from the Rays. They're loser number three. Uh, and, yeah, that's it for me. Yeah, one, one more one more thing. On the, you're talking about the loser. We didn't even mention because they didn't make a trade. What about the Rockies, too? They did nothing. Like, they literally did not make a single trade this year. Yeah, I oh, they signed an extension, though. The only team that did that, remember? Yeah, yeah. The Horrible. Team. Yeah. yeah. To David, I don't know if you saw that, but did you hear what the Rockies GM said? No, I didn't. He said that, like, they asked him why he didn't make a trade, and he's like, well, we were the only team that signed anybody to an extension. 29 other teams didn't sign anybody to an extension this week. And they were like, well, Austin Riley and Joe Musgrove literally signed extensions this week. And those uh, guys are a lot better than the 38-year-old reliever. Yeah, you you yeah. see what a team like the Cubs is doing where they're capitalizing on reliever value. You see the Orioles capitalizing on controlled reliever value. And you see the Rockies adding control years to a 38-year-old reliever. <laughs> All right. Uh, good for Daniel Bard to get paid. Th- that's all I got on them. They-, they are a disappointment, and they should probably sell the team. Yeah, it's just yeah. like, it, it, you know, and with the Rockies, too. And, and I'll just make one point on that, too. You, you say they should sell the team. It's hard It's hard for me to hate on them so much. You kind of have to because they're making such dumb moves. But it's weird because they're trying to make good moves, but they're just bad at it. Like some of these teams are like, like the pirates are like penny pinching and stuff. Like, I don't think the Rockies are really penny pinching. I think they're just bad at making good moves. And that's kind of what I hate about it is that you want to encourage a team to try to do good, do good and improve their team. But man, like if you're just going to keep making signing Chris Bryant to $180 million contracts when they can't stay healthy, like, you know, speaking of which he went on the IL again. I mean, it's, I don't know. Uh, I mean, the Rockies just and the Angels to the, to the same at the same level. It's like it's hard to hate on their ownership because they're putting up the money to try, but they're just bad at it. Like they can't, you know. So, but anyways, I thought that was crazy that they didn't even make a. You know, everyone's hating on the Cubs. At least the Cubs traded a couple pieces. Like the Rockies did literally did nothing at all. They they could have traded Crone. They could have traded Jose Jose Iglesias. Like, why is he still a Rocky? What he's just gonna walk at the end of the year? He had some kind of value. Like somebody would have taken him on as a utility guy. You might have gotten a back end of the rotation prospect type thing. I mean, it's, it just makes no sense. But yeah, it doesn't. Um, but I'm sorry, we've went really long on this d- trade deadline episode. Um, but a lot of activity. We had to hit all into it. Uh, we'll hit on some more stuff over the next couple weeks uh, and, and get into some more some deeper conversations. But thank you guys for tuning in to this episode of the Batflip Podcast, and we'll catch you guys next week.